The Money Show. Other people's money. So I'm curious tonight as to my next guest, Peter Louis Myberg, the author of Gangster State, investigative journalist at Daily Maverick, because what do journalists know about money? generally speaking. There's certainly a very little experience of being able to be flush with it and go to Saint-Tropez on their holidays. They certainly don't have too much to splash on fancy cars and expensive shoes and watches. What they do know, though, is they have an insatiable curiosity for other people's money. And in this case, Peter Louis Mayberg, um, those other people are politicians. You do have an insatiable curiosity for other people's money, do you not? Yes, I do, Bruce. You know, I think you'd probably know if there's anybody else that fancy cars anyway, a waste of money. Uh, not, a, not a very prudent uh, thing to spend your cash on. So luckily, yeah, uh, not, not too interested in those kind of things. Uh, definitely more, way more interested in how our taxpayers' money um, uh, is spent by, by our government institutions and then more often than not ends up in the pockets of, you know, these political figures who really should not be getting their, their claws into those funds whatsoever. So I think uh, other people's money is actually a, a very apt name for you for your show tonight. Definitely our, our uh, foremost focus is the way in which these funds, you know, get, get derived from um, or get siphoned off from, from important uh, public interest expenditure programs and then unfortunately end up in all sorts of dubious places and pockets. Ismar Shule was back in court today, pre-trial hearing, and I mean, he has been insisting to anybody who would watch or listen over the weekend that National Prosecuting Authority has no case against him. He did go to the Freestad High Court in Bloemfontein today for their pre-trial hearing. I mean, your book, when, when, when was uh, Gangster State? Five years ago? I mean, this, this information has been in the public domain, for goodness sake, for an awfully long time. It, it really has. It, it's, it hasn't been quite that long. It was published in early 2019. Um, so that's already up. So a good three years ago. It feels so much um, longer. And, and <laughs> absolutely does. It really does. You know, I think the, that's kind of the, the political landscape. It almost feels like doggy years. You know, you kind of yeah. experience one year of political life in South Africa. It feels like you've aged by 10 years. But, you know, definitely, yeah, that, that's one of the issues we have to keep in mind. You know, the, the, the asbestos a 10-day in the free state, that uh, 255 million rand project is actually among a few uh, questionable deals that the um, honourable former Premier was involved in. Um, so unfortunately at this stage, you know, possibly an indication of the very slow workings of our criminal justice system. This is one case that has actually landed, landed him in a court of law. Um, certainly uh, in the book, there's, there's a couple of... Uh, expenditure programs bearing his fingerprints that certainly also requires answering to. Does it not frustrate the living daylights out of you that you as an individual, with the help no doubt of whistleblowers and of people who you know would willingly share information with you, have been able to lay out compelling enough evidence in a book to be threatened with legal action um, but never have action taken against you uh, for any of the work that you've done. Um, as an individual, yet there are entire organizations whose purpose, existence and training is to corner those who are corrupt. You've made sufficient, mm. I never know if it's prima facie or prima facie evidence to suggest that there are cases worth investigating in the public sphere involving politicians of, of, of high standing and yet it takes infernally yeah. long for the state machinery to do its work. It, it really is beyond frustrating, absolutely, Bruce. You know, I think I'm, I'm not the only one pulling my hair out. Uh, you know, there's certainly 
there's a unfortunately it's a very small band of investigative journalists who do this kind of work in South Africa. But you know, I'm, I'm certainly not the only one. You know, my colleagues at, for instance, Amabungani, they certainly also dish up the same kind of you know level of you know very detailed forensically based work that should serve as a very thorough and very good roadmap for a well-equipped prosecuting authority to go ahead and prosecute. You know, we we just simply not seeing the NPA springing into action, um, you know, on mass in, in any way whatsoever. You know, it seems to be the exception when these cases do land in court. Uh, I see Ms. Ms. Batoy, Advocate Batoy, um, over the weekend said something along the lines of, you know, the SIU, the Special Investigating Unit, for instance, which has been, in my opinion, you know, been doing very good work in terms of, you know, civil uh, recouping of some of these monies and the work they do. And then they refer these cases to the NPA for criminal prosecution. And it seems that Advocate Petoy has some criticism for the SIU um, as far as the readiness for the NPA, you know, to, to be able to take over that work. I think she's essentially saying that the SIU's work is not good enough for the NPA to take up and then go and prosecute. But I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, I've seen a lot of the SIU report, uh, reports on these, especially the, the COVID-19 expenditure, et cetera. It seems to be very detailed and forensically sound. You know, these are cases built by experienced and very well-qualified forensic teams. And I ju- I'm just getting a sense that uh, Advocate Victoria is using this as an excuse because of her organization's uh, profoundly slow moving on these cases. What is your reading of that, Peter? I mean, it's just... It's, it's just I mean, everyone's got an opinion on it, but you're closest to it. What is your reading of the apparent dysfunction within the National Prosecuting Authority in getting its job done? Look, I think it's very simple. Um, I think the I think Advocate Batoy's intentions are good. I really do think she, at that stage, was the, the right appointment. I think, you know, it's just, fun. unfortunately, it doesn't matter how well-equipped and well-intentioned your, your, you know, the highest echelons, leadership of those organizations are, the, the entity itself, the organization, is fundamentally broken. You know, we've heard this time and time again, and I think there's you know, pretty good data out there, hard data uh, showing, you know, exactly how many prosecutors it's short and how many um, experienced forensic investigators they require. You know, I think the, your numbers as to, you know, or pointing to the degree of the, the implosion of the MPA over the years and the, the manner in which it has been incapacitated and that now renders it so ineffective and unable to, to put these cases together and, and bring people to a court of law. So is it, I mean, why is it not being fixed? It's a naive question. Um, and there are, it's, it's, why is it not being fixed? Yeah, we, we keep on hearing it is being fixed. They, they say that those uh, positions are being advertised and they're trying to recruit people. But um, I think it's fundamentally, it's a money issue. Uh, the only way to fix it is if, a you know finance minister goes and stands in parliament for the budget vote speech and says this year we are dedicating a 200 million rand more to the department of justice to go to the npa to recruit more people and i just we haven't seen that in the last three or four years you know it's since the, the supposed new dawn era commenced um in in 2018 a key sort of tenet the promise of this administration has always been to fix the criminal justice system, so as to address the you know, gross levels of state capture and, and corruption we've seen in the, the preceding decade. Um, but there, there's never been a concomitant dedication of sufficient funds to fix the NPA. I mean, you can you can talk a good talk as far as you want, and you can say that you're fixing the NPA, but it's going to cost money. 
it's as simple as that. They're going to have to reappropriate and find money somewhere to, to channel a good couple of hundred million rands to uh, a is, very broken um, yeah. NPA. Is money really the problem? I mean, I, I, again, in my naivety, I say, you know, find, do the Al Capone approach and find one matter. Just find one matter that somebody is guilty of. You can prove beyond any doubt that they did one thing wrong. Take that one thing to court, prosecute them on that one thing, and the, the barriers to, to 15-year jail sentences are quite low. It's a, I think it's still 100,000 rand of corruption, uh, corruption or fraud um, can get you into jail for 15 years. And throw the book at them on one thing. Do we not overcomplicate this process of, of retribution for, for, for crimes done? No, 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 definitely. Look, I think that would symbolically, you know, it would definitely strike at the, you know, at the heart of state capture if you can at least start prosecuting, you know, very prominent, you know, well-known examples, including things like the Estina project and et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've got no shortage of examples of those. Um, but but definitely, you know, my, my understanding is speaking from, you know, people who, um, you know, walk those um, corridors at, at those kind of organizations, they say that, they are struggling to put these cases together because they don't have enough forensic investigators, forensic analysts, uh, you know, people who are able to do very um, complicated, um, you know, forensic analysis of the, the money laundering and related crimes that, that tend to, uh, to um, relate to state capture and high-level corruption. Yeah, it's tragic. It really is. Anyway, enough about them. Let's talk about you. Um, as a journalist, uh, I'm, I'm making the assumption that uh, journal, all journalists are, are, are roughly in the same sort of boat um, and in sort of the third class section of the boat um, because journalism is notoriously well paid as an occupation. It's a calling. Um, it's a fun occupation. There's no question about that. Um, how? What, what's your view on money? I mean, you clearly didn't get into journalism to make the big bucks. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think that's... Um Definitely. I think for, for me, money is something, it represents opportunity to me, definitely. So, you know, it's definitely never been my idea to sort of get into journalism um, and to suffer as a consequence. Um, so I do, I do, I suppose, graft or hustle a little bit um, extra uh, in terms of you know, ensuring that uh, the, the boat doesn't sink. Um, I do have a couple of additional income streams as it would, you know, apart from my, you know, primary occupation at the Daily Maverick. Now, that would include things like writing books on people like Asma Hoshuli, and then the kind of doors that are open through that are quite, um, you know, valuable. Um, you know, things like the keynote speaking circuit. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a huge a amount. Of corporate suits at a, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, and and a couple of corporate suits at a, at a business gathering on a, you know, on a Friday morning, those kind of things. So, yeah, I kind of I like to dispel the myth that you necessarily have to kind of uh, wallow in poverty just because you are a journalist. I think there there are also I think if you work hard enough and establish a bit of a profile and you tackle a couple of opportunities that come your way, there's definitely a good um, a couple of opportunities that that would allow you to you know to earn a, a pretty good living. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, th that allows again because I mean journalism salaries are paltry, and and you know inflation uh, afflicts journalists in only one way, and that isn't in in, in increases in salary. Um, it's in a, a rising cost of living. Um, so you make it, you make a living. Um, how many copies did you sell of Gangster State? Curiously, 
So yeah, I'm I'm very glad to say that so gangster state in the South African context was a was a bestseller. Um, I think you know Penguin Random House can come and correct me if I'm wrong, but we did surpass the the fifty thousand mark. Five zero thousand. Um, with a fifty thirty thousand, yeah, fifty thousand copies. Um, which is good. It's I'm a competitive person by nature, so it's it's not a uh, the president's keepers yet. Um, <laughs> Mr. Poe is, is still a, a well well ahead in that one. Um, you know, but definitely, yeah, it's definitely, it, it hit the mark. Um, it, it certainly it made enough noise and it achieved what I wanted it to achieve in terms of bringing to account somebody who I feel should not play a prominent part in our politics. And then it actually also sold, uh, sold pretty well. So two, two birds, one stone. Uh, I, I mean, you won't, and your publishers won't allow you to disclose, but are there other works in, in the offing? Um, or are you being kept very busy in your day job, simply keeping the daily news grind churning. Because writing books takes time. It takes a hell of a lot of research. It takes a hell of a lot of energy. Yeah, look, to, to be honest, I, I definitely like to write again. You know, I, I definitely write, uh, like to write a couple more books. But um, for, for Gangster State, for instance, I, I quit my job. I was at News24 at that stage, and I got some grant funding uh, to, to focus my energies full-time on writing the book. Because the one before that, The Republic of Gupta, I did it part-time whilst working, and, you know, that was just absolutely mayhem, getting up very early, writing late into the night, and then doing a 95. Um, so, you know, at the moment, it'll be a little bit tricky. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying my work at Daily Maverick. Um, it's a fantastic outlet. Um, it's, like I said, one of the few that, that really, you know, creates a platform for proper, long-form, well-researched investigative journalism without the requirements of a daily deadline or a weekly deadline, you know, we kind of, we, we jump in and do a story and only publish it when we absolutely write that we've, uh, you know, dotted all the I's and checked all the, or crossed all the T's. So if I, if I do have an idea for a book, you know, definitely at some point in my life, I'll, I'll probably jump into another bit of a writing sabbatical or a writing sojourn and, and quit, a, quit a full-time job. Hermann uh, Charles Borsman used to spend his money on booze. Um, he was a, a bit of an old soak, and I think journalists of the 70s and 80s used to spend their money on long lunches. What do you spend your money on? Do you, uh, are, you, are you a <laughs> saver? Are you an investor? Have you taken the, the spoils of gangster state and put them into a fund just in case you are sued? Um, <laughs> how do you treat your money? <laughs> Yeah, so luckily, any, any legal ramifications go to Penguin Random House. Uh, but unfortunately, Mr. Mahashuli hasn't uh, come, you know, hasn't fulfilled that promise yet. We're waiting for it. But yeah, a, a little bit of all of that, Bruce, actually. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I, I used to be, I suppose, in my younger years, pretty reckless with money. And through some, some colleagues back in the day, and I think my parents and a good mix of people, I've, I've learned some of the fundamentals of a good investment and savings kind of approach. So, I think like a little, you can, you can always, uh, you know, set aside a little bit of, of a windfall like that and spend it on yourself. I like surfing, for instance, and you know, I've bought things like new wetsuits and those kind of things, so nothing crazy. But then, you know, most of it definitely I, I save, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm saving in things like a retirement annuity. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I also, I, I do invest very carefully and lightly and sometimes not always successfully on things like the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Um, have you got a Have you got a portfolio? Do you Do you have a little portfolio of shares that you look after yourself? I I do I do yes yeah it's 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 luckily it's it's comparatively small to the one that is in the hands of professionals, um, you know so you know I, I, I definitely 
probably have more gray hairs than I should have if I if I pick up that entire task upon my own shoulders. But I do have a, a small little portfolio that I do myself on the on the JC. How much? You know, my bank's uh, online share trading platform. How much time do you commit to that? I mean, is it something that you take quite seriously, or is it you know, sort of but more of a sort of a hit and miss sort of thing? You kind of don't want to look at it because it's a bit mm. scary. So uh, you're like a dog that doesn't <laughs> want to be shouted at for the mess it's just made in the kitchen, uh, and so it, it kind of ignores the mess and. and, and sneaks out the back door yeah uh, yeah so, uh, especially considering the current market turmoil is definitely probably a good idea at the moment if you have anything saved in something like that to leave it be for a while and trust the market will rebound um but definitely I, I think in my case you know, it's not it's not shape um you know it's not trading i'm not a day trader no. uh, so i i invest in you know in, in companies and stocks that i feel have a good growth opportunity um I take in quite a lot of, um, I suppose, advice from people who write in publications like the Business Den, Financial Times, and um, and a whole sort of a host of other kind of you know financial uh, journalism platforms. And then I invest in companies that look sound. And I, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that over the years, it, it's been probably a good three years now. It's it's certainly grown. It, it's definitely grown consumer price inflation by a good degree. So it's a it's a healthy little portfolio that certainly in terms of individual stocks in the basket does take a knock here or there but i think the bigger picture so far does look look pretty sound and then do you look at the difference in the portfolio that you manage for yourself the mini portfolio versus your retirement annuity and think hell i should take that money out of the retirement annuity and manage it myself because i'm a genius Mm. you know what i actually i do Um, (laughs) it's been like at at varying times you know the the two sort of like you know they definitely there's varying degrees of successful for either um, portfolio, but I think in the longer run, it would appear that the professionals still have the upper hand at this point. <laughs> so it, it's a good idea that the, you know, the bulk of the retirement savings goes to them, and then I've got my little investment nest I can, I can play with myself. I mean, other than wetsuits and occasionally a, a, new, a new surfboard, uh, any bad money habits? Any small and yana skeletons? <laughs> Um, what's the one thing I, you know, I see the investment advisors always say that people drink too much, um, too much coffee, too much uh, cappuccinos. If you buy like two or three cappuccinos a day from an outlet like Vida Cafe, it certainly adds up. And journalists are, are very known for um, consuming large amounts of caffeine, apart from alcohol too. So luckily not nothing, nothing major, I think. Um, probably, I suppose... Pre-COVID, definitely not now that much. You could probably reprimand yourself for eating out too much. I do like going to a nice restaurant and having a good meal and having a good, a nice craft beer or a nice glass of wine. So I suppose those are the 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 biggest kind of Achilles heel kind of things. Nothing major. No, yeah, you know, like I said, luckily no no case for any of the expensive vehicles. Anything not not that I can afford any of those kind of cars, but it's it's not one of my ambitions anyway. Peter Louis Marburg, thank you. Author of Gangster State, investigative journalist at Daily Maverick. Uh, always gives fabulous insight into the seedy, sordid underbelly of South African society.